We want to give a special greeting today to our viewers on Three Angels Broadcasting Network, uh, to Danny and Linda Shelton, our partners in the preaching of the gospel, and to each of you today. Would you please take your Bible and turn with me to the gospel according to, to Matthew, chapter 4, verse 13 and onwards. There are Bibles in the pews, and uh, we encourage every person, please, to turn to the passages. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 to 22. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13 to 22, please. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13 to 22 of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness saw, what does it say? A great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My friend, the ministry of Jesus starts with preaching. Jesus was not primarily uh, a counselor. Jesus was primarily a preacher of the word. And the Bible says his ministry started with preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Did you know that the majority of Christ's disciples were humble fishermen? When Jesus came to this world, and this goes against our pride, when Jesus came to this world, he went past the seminaries and the theological institutions and Jesus went to fishermen. He went to people who the world despised as being illiterate because he could take those men and mold them into the preachers of the everlasting gospel. And Jesus said, you have been fishermen and that is fine. Jesus spent a lot of his time on the lake, but Jesus said, I have come to make you not fishers of fish, but I've come to make you fishers of men. I've always wanted personally to be a fisherman. Ever since the time I was a little boy and lived on the Brisbane River in the state of Queensland, Australia, we had the privilege of living in a large home uh, with a large veranda and, a, and, and the backyard that ran right down to the riverbank. And when I was a little boy, I don't know how old I, I was, maybe six or seven or eight, I got double pneumonia, and then I also got rheumatic fever. And I had a marvelous doctor, because he said, this boy should take a year off school. <laughs> what a marvelous doctor he was. Oh, that there might be more doctors like that today, filled with such wisdom and a capacity for understanding the needs of little boys. That was, he said he should not worry about anything. 
he should just be free to swim in the river and go fishing. And so I constructed a large raft and my mother being a wise woman attached a long rope to the raft lest I float out into the Pacific Ocean. And there I would spend my days. In those days we used to catch, because I was not fully enlightened, we would catch king prawns. And we would catch eels. And all types of fish, some clean and some not so clean. Because we were not enlightened with some of these things. I remember next door to our house, uh, there was a lady whose name was Mrs. Scott. She later became a believer such as I am because my mother was also a fisherman and shared a faith. And Mrs. Scott had a jetty that ran out into the river. And she would allow me, we called her Mrs. Dot because I couldn't say my S's. Mrs. Dot I called her. I remember her well. When I was a little boy, I could not speak. I had such an impediment in my speech that my parents took me to a speech therapist and they thought that I was incapable of speaking because what came out was all garbled. Even today I still find it hard to put certain words together and I've got to be conscious that I don't run all of my words in together. But I could not speak. But I would go next door to Mrs. Dot, Mrs. Scott, and I would go out upon her, her jetty and there I would fish. I will never forget the day when I had a large net, Steve, and I caught the largest crab that the world has ever seen. My mother came and they still talk about it. She says, John, we don't know whether you caught the crab or the crab caught you. <laughs> I have been associated down through the years with many fishermen. In Australia, I had the privilege of, of looking after two churches. One was the McLean Church and one was the Tari Church. And the church was filled with the most honest people. On the whole, fishermen are honest. They're sun-tanned. They will tell you the truth. Open people are delighted to do business with these people who make their living from the fish of the sea. And I've always wanted to be a fisherman. But the most important fisherman you can be, my friend, is not the, uh, the catcher of, of just fish out of the sea, but the catcher of men. I remember as a little boy when I went to school in Brisbane learning the poem that most people here I know will know off by heart. Do you know it? I must go down to the seas again. Do you know it? To the lonely sea and the sky. And all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. And the wheels kick and the winds song and the white sails shaking and a grey mist on the sea's face and a grey dawn breaking. You know the poem? Jesus knew about the white sails shaking. Jesus knew about the grey mist on the sea face and Jesus had seen many a grey dawn breaking. Jesus and his disciples knew the wind song because they were basically farmers and peasants, and predominantly fishermen. I want you to notice something else, because Jesus has promised an abundant catch if we have faith. Come over here to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 5, and verses 1 to 11. Jesus 
has promised an abundant catch. Do you believe that, Charles? An abundant catch. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verses 1. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he'd stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, more than they could hold. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, who were partners with Simon. They had a business, a fishing business. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let me tell you something. When the church obeys the word of God and lets down the nets into the sea, madam, there will be an abundant harvest and we will not know how to hold the fish. I want to tell you today and I want to say this to every Christian and particularly the Adventists who are watching this on television. There has come in the Western world, in my own land of Australia, and in North America, a terrible turning away from the preaching of the gospel, and we have psyched ourselves into defeat, and we say, it's no good doing it because it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, we say, well, that proves it doesn't work. All it proves is that God is not working through that individual or those people. There needs to be a turning from sin and a turning to God and doing the work of the church, which is fishing for souls, I tell you. Is it true? Absolutely, it is true. And we wail and we wonder about the, pro uh, the problems that come upon us as a denomination. The problems that are coming upon us are the judgments of God because we are failing to let down the nets and to obey the word of God. Why should we be fishers of men? Why should we seek to save souls? Why does 3ABN, for instance, exist why did Danny and Linda Shelton have a dream to take the gospel to the world? Uh, they've been working in North America, but they're about ready to start a satellite system right across the world. We're going to support them. We're doubling the time we're going to spend on 3ABN to support them. But why should we have evangelism? I will tell you. Number one, because men are lost without Christ. I do not believe in the lie 
that people can be saved in their sins and that people can be saved by being sincere or by being kind or by being good. We are lost without Christ. We are born in a lost condition and we must come to Christ to be saved. I want, I want to prove that to you because some people act as though that isn't true. Come over here to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. Book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. And notice the word of the Lord. Paul says, Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3, And you he made alive. What does it say? Come on, please. What does he say? Who or what? How does he describe people outside of Christ? Dead. Can you be in church and be dead? We have multitudes of people in churches that are simply as dead as dead can be. But they are religious people, but they are still dead. The Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind. And, uh, and then the Bible says, And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. And then it talks about the plan of redemption. I want you to know this. We need to evangelize and you need to be evangelized because outside of Christ we are dead and we are lost. And if we die in that lost condition, we will wake up in the fires of hell. That is the teaching of the Bible. Man is lost without God. People say people are saved while they are in ignorance. If that is so, let's keep them in ignorance. Don't tell them. If the Russians are saved, we took some people to Russia this year. One good man said, well, you know, even uh, monsters who put people to death by the millions, they're saved if they were sincere. They're saved if they didn't know any better. What nonsense. They are lost and going down to hell without Christ. Men are lost without Christ. Number two. Christ has redeemed the world. Christ has redeemed every soul in this world with his own blood on the cross. Jesus has paid the price of your sins and my sins. But the world doesn't know it. And number three, listen to this. Men are saved through the preaching, the public or the private preaching of the gospel. Romans 10 verses 8 to 15. Please turn to it. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 to 15. Romans chapter 10 and verses 8 to 15. Please notice the word. Romans chapter 10, the words of the greatest evangelist besides our Lord, Paul. Romans 10 verses 8 to 15. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That is if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in him, 
that God has raised him from the dead, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to these words. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I want this saying to sink down into your ears, even if it is an offense to you. People outside of Christ are lost. We are not saved because we are sincere communists or sincere Buddhists or believers sincerely in Hinduism. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and we come into a saved condition when we receive a supernatural revelation through the preaching of the Word of God. And that is why the work of preaching is the most important work in the world, the work of being a fisherman. I've had the privilege of working in many place, places in the world. One of the most wonderful places was, was Africa, where I ran two campaigns in Arari, Zimbabwe, the modern words for Salisbury, Rhodesia. And after the campaign, I had the privilege of going to the smoke that thunders, Victoria Falls, where the earth shakes. When, they, when the natives took David Livingston to that part of the world, they told him, up across the plain is the smoke that thunders. He did not understand what they spoke about. He soon did when he saw it. And next to the smoke that thunders, the great Victoria Falls, twice as big as the falls in this country up on the Canadian border, even though they're magnificent, the Victoria Falls twice as big, standing beside the great chasm, because that's what it is, a fantastic chasm, and the water is boiling over. There is a statue of the missionary, David Livingston. As a little Scottish boy, he felt a tug in his heart to be a missionary. He went to Africa and he poured out his soul. I want to read to you from my fellow countryman, Roy Allen Anderson, who was the ministerial secretary of the General Conference for many, many years. I want to read you his description. Had David Livingston stayed in Scotland, he would have been a good doctor, bringing relief to hundreds. But he caught the vision of a thousand villages in the dark continent that had never heard of Christ. When David Livingston came back to England in those days, the church and even the world believed in evangelism. What a difference today. What an apostasy has come upon us. 
and he stood up before a great crowd in England and he said the words, I saw the smoke of a thousand villages. He went back to Africa, his body became racked with malaria, but he caught the vision of a thousand villages in the dark continent that had never heard the name of Christ, and out he went, tramping the veiled and disease-infected jungles of all Africa. He covered thousands of miles on foot, and what he did for Africa only eternity will reveal. At last, away out there in the heart of the great continent, he too fell at his post. Significantly, he was on his knees when they found him cold and still in death. Doubtless, he was praying for the lost in the land to which he had given so much. Faithful hands, the blacks loved him so much that they cut out his heart. They removed his heart from his battle-scarred body and buried it under a tree in Central Africa. Then the loyal natives carried his body more than a thousand miles to the coast, where it was taken to England to rest among the great and the noble in the historic Westminster Abbey. They walked for months, they embalmed his body, and the news got out somehow out of darkest Africa that Livingston was coming home, and the British sent a warship, a gunship, and they waited for him and took him to London. Yes, Livingston rests in London, but his work lives on in Africa. While the world was paying respect to a great missionary explorer, this poem appeared in the London magazine Punch of that week. I want to read it to you. Tis the last mile of many thousands trod with failing strength, but never failing will. By the worn frame, now at its rest with God, that never rested from its fight with ill. He hated slavery. He was the pioneer against the slave traffic, this Scotchman. Oh, if the ache of travel and of toil would sometimes wring a short, sharp cry of pain from agony of fever, blain and boil, twas but to crush it down and on again. Open the door and bring him in, there to sleep with king and statesman, chief and sage, the missionary come of weave akin, but great by works that brooks no lower wage. He needs no epitaph to guard a name which men shall prize, while worthy work is known. He lived and died for God, be that his fame. Let Marble crumble, this is living stone. Hmm. Why did he go to Africa? Because he had a vision. Was he a pastor who was prepared to sit around and drink tea? No, because he was a man, not a wimp. He was a man with a vision of God, and he was a man with a vision of lost souls. I saw the smoke of a thousand villages. I want to tell you, in the hellhole which is called Los Angeles, there is the smoke of a thousand villages. There is the smoke of a thousand 
campfires across this land of North America as well as in Russia. And as a church, we are paying lip service to the preaching of the gospel while we go on our sleepy old merry way. And God calls for repentance in the church. We are to pray that God will send such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon the great Advent movement that we will not know what to do with the fish that are going to come in because unless the fish come in, I tell you, the fish will rot unless they're caught. I saw the smoke of a thousand villages. In this hellhole that is called Los Angeles, there's fighting today. 20 or 30 folks will be murdered down in Los Angeles. There's racism, every man's hand against his brother. There's only one solution to the private hell that we have made, and that is the preaching of the everlasting gospel by the church of God. I want to read you a poem. This also out of the book, The Shepherd Evangelist, by Roy Allen Anderson. Once in quiet Galilee, Jesus walked beside the sea, walked with fishermen. You know why he didn't walk with the priests? Because they were so far out of touch with God that Jesus, on the whole, just passed them by. Jesus walked beside the sea, walked with fishermen. Sometimes in a little boat, lightly on the waves afloat, he sat with men, talked with men, fishermen. Leave your fishing nets, said he. Come, let me your master be. Seek not fish, but men. Draw them with a net of love. Seek them for the home above. And follow me, follow me, fishermen. Lord, let us thy followers be. Like the men of Galilee, be thy fishermen. Faithful to each little task. Glad to do what thou shalt ask. To follow thee, follow thee, fishermen. I want to ask you today to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will follow you. I will accept the blood of Christ to cover my sins, but I want to follow you. I want to get out of this awful cynicism and this icy indifference and this later seeing condition, and I want to break free, and I want to be a follower of Christ, and I want to be a fisherman. In the way we live, in the way we preach, and in the way we give. That's my appeal today. Every person here will not just be a church member, but a fisherman. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I want you to bow your heads, and I want to pray with you earnestly. Then we're going to take an offering. As I pray with you, can I tell you something? Can I say this to you openly and honestly, and I say it across North America? And I say this not to offend some of you, but some of you need offending. Some of you need take me, God to put his hand on your shoulder and to shake you so hard and to ch- shake the churchiness out of you. Let me tell you, the KGB, 
that monstrous organization are a hundred times better to preach to than most congregations in this, con in this country. You say, what a thing to say. I know because I've seen it. I've seen the power of God come down in meetings and I've seen thousands saved and I've seen members of the KGB by the hundreds standing to acknowledge the Creator God and we've had the privilege of baptizing members of the KGB and we have seen the tears. We've seen the tears in their eyes. We've seen thousands of people come to Christ. But in our churches today, the bigger the churches seems to be, the more formalized, the harder it is to preach the gospel because those people, even in their pompous religiosity and their sanctimonious lifestyles, are further from God than the butchers in the KGB. You say, what on earth? Can anything be done for us? Can anything be done for us? I say, perhaps. You say, you're not absolutely certain. No, I'm not, because I believe that some people have become so sanctimonious and so hard and so pharisaical that the Spirit of God may never, never be able to touch them. And they are holding offices in the church, running churches. What is our only hope? Our only hope is to fall upon Christ the rock and be broken. And to come as sinners to Christ and say, Lord, here I am. I'm a sinner and I'm standing in the need of prayer. And I want you to take this frigidity out of my heart and baptize me with the Holy Spirit and make me into a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. That's my appeal today. If you want that experience, please kneel down with me. If you can. Some of you can't kneel, I know. But if you feel a great need today, that God is going to come. Remember, my friend, not only is God coming to us, but death is coming to us, all of us, and we all have a judgment. We're facing at the judgment bar of God. And if you feel a great need today, of becoming a new person and being born again and becoming a real Christian, that I want you to kneel down and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we pray for every person today, every person who's kneeling in the church. We pray today, our Father, that you will bear our hearts to the penetrating gaze of the infinite God. And we pray that you'll show us ourselves as we really are. And break us today upon the rock Christ Jesus. Help us all to know today that we are all sinners standing in need of the blood of Jesus. And therefore today our Father, wash us in the blood of Jesus. And then Father, come by the Holy Spirit and come into these hearts of ours and warm up these hearts and make us fishermen and so that as a church we shall return to the mission of the church when Jesus said follow me and I will make you fishers of men we pray today our father for a mighty and a tremendous outpouring of the spirit of God upon us now and for a divine anointing.
Bless this congregation. Bless us now as we take the offering. Some for Russia, some for America, some for 3ABN. Oh, my Father, work in these hearts and warm us. Give us right now the assurance that we are right with God and that we're going to have a place with Jesus in the kingdom. And while we're waiting for that to take place, the part with Jesus in the kingdom, in the glory land, make every person a missionary, a soul winner, a fisher of men like David Livingston and the disciples. Make us your fishermen today. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have enjoyed the program today and would like information regarding the availability of video or audio cassette tapes of today's message, please write to John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Today's program number is on your screen. Your prayer requests and comments are also encouraged. Please pray daily for Pastor Carter and Three Angels Broadcasting Network as they share the truth of the Three Angels' messages throughout the world, especially into the land of Russia. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. First of all, I want to uh, thank God for the opportunity to be here among you. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad to see John and Beverly Carter. I'm very glad to see many of you which, uh, with whom we work there in Nizhny Novgorod. And I want to tell you greetings and best wishes from your brothers and sisters from Nizhny Novgorod and their appreciation of your supporting the missionary work there. They asked me before I was going here, are you going to see John and Beverly Carter? I said, yes. Are you going to uh, be in their church? I said, I hope so. And they told me, please tell our greetings to them. And that's what I'm doing now. And I want to tell you one thing. Many years ago, and during that hard time for Russia, for Christians in Russia, when they had persecution, their church in Nizhny Novgorod, or that time it was called Gorky, was the largest one in Russia, in Soviet Union. And there were about 200 church members there. Now, in Nizhny Novgorod, there, is, there are over 5,000 church members. Glory be to God. Glory be to and God. And it's a miracle Glory. that God opened the doors of heaven, sending John Carter with his team to uh, have crusade there, to run crusades there. First year, 2,500. Last year, about 1,000 people had been baptized. And this year, over 1,000 people 
were baptized in Nizhny Novgorod. And now we really have the largest congregation in Nizhny Novgorod. Praise the God. And I also want to tell you that I met uh, several people uh, which asked me to tell greetings and uh, they are thankful to Beverly Carter. Mm -hmm. She's here. Where She's we... sitting at the back. Bless I mean that places mm -hmm. which we, uh, with Beverly and some ladies which uh, maybe are here, we visited uh, baby homes, we vi visited hospitals, schools and orphanages. We and we presented them many to nice toys, medicines, uh, medical equipment, Bibles, mm -hmm. everything. And they are very thankful. That's what I wanted to tell you. And one more thing. Maybe some of you think that Russians think that Americans are full of money. That's why they don't know what, where to put them. That's why they're helping to Russian, Russians. They are wrong who thinks like this. I want to tell you that the majority of the Russian people appreciate your help and they realize that you are just a simple people which want to show them your sympathy, your kindness, your Christian love. And I want, uh, on behalf of Russian brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, Thank you very much, Americans, and God bless you. Amen. 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 And to live is Christ. And to live is Christ. For I've been To die is given. There is no
and to live is Christ. For I've been crucified, and to live is For almost a thousand years, the vast land of Russia has been ruled by callous, bloodthirsty tyrants, religious and secular. Since 988, when Christianity came to the Russians in the form of the Orthodox religion, there has been a brutal denial of human rights by both church and state. Czars and bishops worked together to keep the people in poverty, fear, and ignorance. Religious liberty and freedom of speech were concepts hated by Russia's rulers, and anyone who dared to step out of line soon felt the wrath of the state and the church. Torture was the chief weapon to motivate compliance. When Europe in the 16th century revolted against similar conditions, Russia remained frozen in a religious and political wasteland. Rejecting the great Protestant Reformation that brought prosperity and liberty, Russia's leaders, both secular and religious, could look forward only to a bloody rebellion. That rebellion came in 1917. In the name of her new prophets, Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Trotsky, Russia overthrew the old system. Unlike the Protestant reformers who also rejected the abominable practices of a corrupt church, Russia's new leaders turned from God and the Bible. A reign of terror, worse than anything before it in history, was unleashed from Vladivostok in the east to St. Petersburg in the west. While promising liberty and prosperity to the huddle masses, the Marxist revolution did not eventuate in the workers' paradise, but a system of slavery that continued and intensified Russia's long night of fear and oppression. Historians maintain that during Europe's Dark Age that lasted over a thousand years, church and state leaders put to death some 50 million people. Communist czars were able in just 70 years to exceed that ghastly figure. During the reign of Lenin, Stalin, and Khrushchev, it's estimated that the soil of Mother Russia was drenched with the blood of 60 million souls. Religious and political dissidents were starved, beaten, stabbed, and shot to death. Today, everything has changed. A new revolution is taking place. Today, the rays of the sun of freedom, warm with hope and promise, are shining upon Russia. The dramatic reforms of Glasnost and Perestroika that were introduced by Mikhail Gorbachev and developed by Boris Yeltsin have reversed the tragic course of Russian history. How long this day will last, no one knows. But one thing is certain. Now is the time to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to these struggling, suffering people to whom the light of life 
has been so long denied. It is not possible in the few minutes we have to document all that's happening across a land that spans 11 time zones. This is the story of Gorky that's part of a mighty spiritual revolution that's shaking the Russian nation. During 12 months, from mid-1992 to mid-1993, more than 3,800 precious Russian souls, many ex-atheists and communists, have been baptized in the frigid waters of the Volga River. This is the story of their trials, their tears, and their triumphs. But more than that, it is the story of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. Gorky, now known by its pre-revolutionary name of Nizhny Novgorod, is situated on the banks of the mother of Russian rivers, the mighty Volga. About 250 miles east of Moscow, it was established 900 years ago as a fort and a trading center. For centuries, it's been called the Pocket of Russia, a title that implies its economic importance. Sixty years ago, Stalin declared it a closed city, and foreigners were forbidden. In the factories of Nizhny Novgorod, a city that now numbers 3,700,000, weapons of every description were made. When Moscow, Leningrad, Stalingrad, and other cities of the West were devastated by the German onslaught of World War II, the citizens of Gorky continued to grind out the tanks and guns that eventually drove the Nazi invaders back to Berlin. Today, Nizhny Novgorod remains an important industrial center, not only producing Volga cars and trucks, but nuclear submarines and the world's fastest fighter jet, the MiG-29. John Carter is an Australian pastor and evangelist who first visited Nizhny Novgorod in January 1992, just after the city was declared open. He had previously conducted the first evangelistic campaign in the Soviet Union during the spring of 91, in the waning days of the communist government. The meetings of 92 that continued every night for six weeks in Nizhny Novgorod shook the entire city. So great were the crowds of spiritually starved Russians that the army was ordered out to control the vast numbers that attempted to storm the Palace of Sport. Russian national television videotaped the meetings and produced a documentary that included testimonies of praise to God from those just baptized. American, Australian, and Russian team members believe that they saw and experienced a second Pentecost. For this mighty demonstration of the power of the gospel of Jesus, they say, All glory, power, and honor be to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. I would say 98% of the congregation coming forward, they raised their hands, and my question was from seeing other crusades when they did raise their hands, will they come forward? Will they take that stand for Christ? And they did. As I played just as I am, as I used to in the Billy Graham crusades as well, the response uh, to John Carter's invitation was so great and it's, it's overwhelming. It brought tears to my eyes. People in the thousands accepting Jesus, it's just 
um, it's Pentecost. The words cannot express uh, the joy and the emotion that was felt in my own heart as I watched these dear people respond because they come from the land of my ancestry. And for many years, my own parents had to leave their homeland because of the persecution. And here today, they have the freedom to listen to the Word of God and to respond, and it would thrilled my soul. I was baptized during the first one which took place last year. I would like to tell you that the changes in my life are tremendous. I mean, I'm a new person. Uh, there are a lot of troubles, there are a lot of difficulties, but I accept them from quite a different point of view. Well, it just overwhelms me to see we don't have to bring them in. They don't walk in, they rush in. They're so anxious to hear the truth that comes from Elder Carter's lips as he quotes it from the Bible and the beautiful uh, pictures on archaeology. And the, the room, what impresses me the most, everything is big and great like the Russian people are used to having here, uh, Bolshoi as they call it. And uh, it's been thrilling every night to see the people respond in a very vigorous way to the appeals and this really is the heart and core of what the Adventist Church is all about. The greatest experience that I can ever imagine anyone having to see those large numbers of people to stand up for Christ. Today is a day of opportunity, an opportunity that may not last very long when we can present the gospel to the world. Right here in Russia there are thousands upon thousands and millions of people yet to hear the good news that Jesus died for them. The mission of 93 was planned not only to win new souls to Jesus, but to confirm and consolidate the more than 2,500 precious Russian souls baptized during the summer of 92. Opposition was threatened by the Orthodox Church that had already expressed its anger toward the foreign missionaries. Posters advertising the meetings were torn down and troublemakers were sent to disturb the meetings. Tens of thousands of precious Russian souls, hungry and hurting, attended in spite of the opposition. Thousands made decisions for Jesus and his last day message. When the Orthodox Church announced that it would hold a demonstration outside the hall in an attempt to intimidate those attending, the government declared the harassment unlawful and sent carloads of police to protect the meetings. The governor of the Nitsi Novgorod region, Boris Nimsov, is described by U.S. News and World Report as the rising star of Russia. In the article, The Two Borises, Yeltsin is called Yesterday's Man, while Nimsov is called Tomorrow's Man. This young, progressive Democrat just may be the man, says U.S. News, to lead Russia into the 21st century. Recently, Pastor Carter met with Governor Nimsov and shared with this influential Russian leader great truths that are the basis for a prosperous and free nation. During the meeting, the Russian Orthodox Church was represented by Bishop Nikolai, who expressed his disapproval of Pastor Carter's views and activities. While the bishop argued for a national Orthodox state religion, John propounded the truth that church and state ought to be separate and that it is the duty of government to recognize and protect the rights of minorities. <laughs> 